welcome back to Composer Quest. I'm your host in Minneapolis, Charlie McCarran, and in this show I talk with composers, songwriters, producers, and scientists to bring you musical inspiration and practical composing tips. Today's episode features Guild Wars 2 composer, Lena Chappelle. She shares her unique experience as being both a designer and a composer for the game. She also gives some excellent advice about writing melodies. A good melody has the potential written into it. So, for example, like a melody that is so complex or so complete in its statement that you can't really work with it, I think it makes it a, a weaker melody overall. We talk about Lena's experience coming out as a transgender woman in the video game industry. ArenaNet is a very unique company, I think. There's a number of, of transgender employees there, and it made it a slightly more welcoming place for me to feel okay doing that. If that hadn't been the case, then who knows what I would have done. All that and more coming up. First, a few announcements. I realized that I forgot to talk about our Gamers Rhapsody Game Jam presentation. It went really well. Our panelists, Emily Reese of June Media and Tim Turry of Game Informer, played through all the games live at Gamers Rhapsody, and it was a blast seeing what everyone did for their games. Here's a clip of Tim and Emily playing the game Game Jam Rush by David Silverman, and the music was composed by Tim Brandle. The concept of this game is that you play as a game designer being critiqued by a panel of judges. Very meta. The goal is to beat the clock by running around and collecting music notes and pieces of code. The game jam is almost over. If you don't start getting your art, music, and code together soon, you may not have a finished game yet. Get to work. You got it? Yeah. Do I have to use a mouse? And try. That's the clock. Oh my god, dude. Another successful game jam has run its course. Let's see how your team did. Uh, gameplay, uh, you need to work on your coding skills. This isn't even a game. Uh, art, I can't even, this, this can't even be called art. Uh, did you have any artists at all? Music, I don't think there's any sound in the game. All right. I did my best. Uh, all right, let's try this again. Yeah. Just directional buttons. Mm-hmm. I gotta hold forward. All right, all right. I believe in you. Terrible. You got it. Having a Tim moment here. Hey, that's not what they call that. I've posted a video of the whole playthrough, plus links to download all these games at composerquest.com slash grjam. For the game I made, called Pixels at an Exhibition, we had 21 composers contribute to the score. You're hearing one of my favorites, Zeta Complex by Thor Bremer. You can download it for free, Again, at the same link, composerquest.com slash grjam. I highly recommend trying out a game jam if you're at all interested in composing for video games. Just do a search for game jams and you'll find an endless number of them. It's a great way to meet developers and artists. I went to another game jam this past weekend, the 24-hour Midwest Game Jam, and our team came up with a tropical pirate racing game. Stick around till the end of the episode for another Charlie's Music Production lesson about how I made the music for this pirate game. Now, a moment to thank my patrons. 
This week, I have a patron jingle for Peter Van Sicklin. Thanks, Peter. He was a magician as a kid And a musician Playing two saxophones at once Like he was magic And his students in D.C. Couldn't believe That their teacher had the skills enough to beatbox And if you don't take time to look around you It might astound you But you can't see Cause Peter Van Sicklin could surprise you In his disguise as a normal guy But his superpower of optimism, it gets him by, it gets him by. You can check out Peter's original music at soundcloud.com slash petervansicklin, spelled S-I-C-L-E-N. If you're interested in becoming a Composer Quest patron, visit patreon.com slash charlie. Okay, enough announcements. Let's get on to my talk with Lena Chappelle. Thanks for coming on composer quests yeah absolutely so i'm kind of curious um to talk to you about guild wars 2 uh-huh. i thought it was kind of interesting that you are both the composer and the designer of some parts of the game yeah that's right um i started as a designer there actually and they kind of you know found out that i was uh, also a composer and so i just was able to eventually work my way in and, and write some some music for the game, which was super lucky. The expansion we just released, uh, Heart of Thorns, I was able to do a couple of, of spots where I was both the designer and the composer for like the same sort of event or, or boss fight or something like that. And it's it's been a lot of fun to, to work on things like that. Cool. Do you have a preference for like what you enjoy more? Well, I, I mean, definitely like composing music is is sort of my thing like that's that's what i went to college for and it's kind of what i've i've been doing for a while and and design kind of came naturally from just getting into the industry and really wanting to just do something in the industry because i i tried uh doing music straight out of college and it you know obviously didn't happen because there's just there's so much that you know, you really need uh, to get into the industry. Uh, and certainly someone fresh out of, of college uh, didn't really have the, the contacts or, or the sort of just experience in general to like dive right in. But I, I you know, started getting to, to know people and getting various like jobs in QA and stuff. And uh, just for people who to, don't just, know, oh, yeah. What uh, is that? Uh, that exactly <laughs> right. So quality assurance, uh, basically, testers will, will go in and 
either play through the game generally or be assigned a very specific spot to go through and just, you know, play it over and over and try to break it and uh, just, you know, create bugs for the designers to fix, find all the things before the game's released uh, to, that would be, you know, major issues or, or even minor ones. Cool. So I did that for, uh, I mean, like first three years in the industry was, was all QA. Um, started at Nintendo, then uh, for about two and a half years, very briefly at Microsoft as a contractor, um, worked on Fable 2 <laughs> for like three months. Uh, cool. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was like the very end of production. So like I filed a bunch of bugs and none of them got fixed. So <laughs> <laughs> we don't have time for this. And now I'm on the you know, development side. I know exactly how that feels. <laughs> yeah, I um, But then I was at WB Games for a little bit um, on the, you know, the sort of a publisher side and then over to Arena on the development side. I thought it was cool in an interview I saw of yours um, that you talked about the Golden Cave that oh, yeah. you you designed the level and wrote the music for it and the music is just gorgeous for that. Thank you. like that was sort of a, a big moment it's kind of like very end of this uh, story arc and so he really wanted it to be kind of like a, a big wow moment I knew that the space was kind of a prelude to this new race that we were introducing in the expansion uh, the exalted and these were sort of like these big you know mystical floating glowy golden uh, creatures that were enchanted uh, suits of armor with the souls of people from like hundreds of years ago. It's cool stuff. <laughs> but, <laughs> but so taking in the lore of that, of those people and then realizing, okay, well, this cave is kind of like a lost outpost for these people. And so uh, part of their lore is they've been waiting all these you know, hundreds of years for uh, you know, Glint's legacy. The you know, <laughs> this is I'm going into super nerdy like you know lore <laughs> stuff because I'm super into that you know, and obviously you know work on it. So, um, but yeah, so they're, so they're waiting for this stuff to come you know to them, and so they can nurture it. But it never came, and so they're kind of like they're just waiting and waiting. And so I tried to tap into that sense of like you know we're we're waiting for this thing to come, and this you know outpost you know, it's kind of fallen away because there's no one there to take care of it anymore. And so it's, it's almost like a mournful sort of piece. are kind of a, 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 a motif throughout the heart part and then also once it goes into the woodwinds there's sort of a back and forth between the clarinet and the oboe where they kind of pass the arpeggio up and down uh, between them and it just keeps getting carried between all of the, the different instruments as the piece progresses 
very much inspired um, by there's there's a, a classical piece by Smetnow called the Moldo, uh, which is uh, just this beautiful, beautiful piece of music that kind of has that same undulation to it. And so I really wanted to kind of capture that same sense of rolling flow. I enjoyed your character themes that you made. I guess those you made a little while ago, maybe, but... Yeah, the character themes, most of those, actually, I wrote them on the bus <laughs> um, as sort of an exercise. Um, I've been writing a lot of shorter pieces of music with you know for simple instrumentation, like you know piano or two piano, guitar, or something like that. And so I, I tried doing kind of like a, a daily sketch sort of thing, a daily warm-up while I was on my bus commute. And this was back when I was working at Nintendo. And so what I would do is I would try to write a piece every two days. So I'd start it on the bus in the morning and then finish it the next morning uh, on the bus. And uh, so I had like a, my laptop in Sibelius and I was just writing, you know, straight on you know, sheet music and then took it into, uh, you know, actual like VST instruments uh, later on. Yeah, so those the character themes specifically were based on uh, these D and D characters that my friends and I were were playing in a campaign. <laughs> I didn't cool. I didn't make I didn't make one for my character because that seemed kind of like I don't know a little little, <laughs> little too a uh, little, little too self indulgent. But uh, I made I made uh, themes for all of their characters. I, for a second, I thought you were going to say you were inspired by people on the bus. Oh. With you. <laughs> That'd be fun too. I should do that in the future. Just kind of like, yeah, you know, stranger sketches, but music, <laughs> writing their theme song. Yeah. Well, they are a little bit more magical <laughs> than I suppose people you'd find on the bus. Right. <laughs> I don't know. People on the bus could be pretty magical too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, one that stuck out to me was the gentle water maiden. Mm. Yeah, it's like this really nice harp and flute. Yeah. Ostinato going mm -hmm. on. That was definitely one of the ones that I worked on the bus. I was doing a whole lot of fun, just like free exploration of of trying to to find different un unexpected uh, modulations and sort of ways to to follow the melody that didn't necessarily lead to an expected place, and so kind of led to some happy accidents in there, just kind of placing down notes and kind of seeing where it led me. did you learn in doing these sketches so quickly and like did you you mostly finish them in two days or yeah i think two bus rides yeah two bus rides so you know it was <laughs> probably around like three hours max for each of these you know three to four but then you know obviously you know some tweaking later and really like having that limitation 
it's actually something I've been wanting to to revisit uh, lately because I've got you know a lot of uh, art friends who are on on Twitter and posting some really cool like you know daily warm up sketches and stuff, and they'll just you know post these beautiful pieces that you know they came up with in like you know a matter of hours. And I was you know realizing, hey, I kind of did that back several years ago and wanted to kind of revisit that. And I think a lot of that you know it's kind of serves the same purpose that some of those daily warm-ups do is they really kind of get you into the flow and they just kind of let you think more spontaneously without really like trying to dedicate yourself to one specific idea or one like sort of thing that's been lingering in your head for like forever you know or, or maybe it has been lingering in your, in your head forever and you really want to just kind of jot it down finally but like just having that forced time limit to just get a sketch down and you know, and see if you can make it work. I think that really, it helped me be a little more spontaneous and to really kind of just go with my instincts rather than arguing with music for <laughs> hours and just, you know, trying so hard to get like the exact thing right. And, you know, maybe, maybe it's the wrong thing, but, you know, at least roll with it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's definitely a struggle of mine when I sit at, the piano and I maybe write you know like eight bars of an idea yeah and then it's hard to keep the flow going once you've like listened to these eight bars over and over and by that point sometimes <laughs> I just get sick of it and right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, sometimes that's the best you know thing it doesn't quite work out and so you need to just you know toss it out and try something new and that works too yeah well, I, I've noticed in your music some of your instrumental stuff and also your electronic, like, chiptune stuff. It, there's a lot of complexity in how the melody interacts with the background layers and, mm. and that kind of thing. And, like, it seems like you like fugues. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. That That was something that definitely came from my education uh, in, in college. I mean, to start off, we were very much focused on writing for actual, you know, players rather than, you know, it, it was, it was kind of, it was, a, it was a little like, you know, kind of stuck up a little bit, but like, you know, it's like, <laughs> oh, you know, actual instrumentalists rather than these computers, you know, <laughs> but, and so I, you know, pretty much started with more basic forms and you know when we were learning counterpoint and doing all of that i really kind of fell in love with the fugue and and with uh, a lot of that uh, interplay between parts Music has really kind of been a, a core part of, of of how I learned music, and so writing in parts rather than chords has really been kind of the way that I approach music. So if I'm thinking about you know a melodic idea or, or something, I'm I'm th I'm singing it to myself. I'm not at a piano playing chords or, or you know kind of trying to get a progression down. And and so in a lot of pieces that I'm working on, the you know the melodic elements will come in first, and maybe another melodic element as well. And then that kind of informs what the chordal structure is, rather than kind of coming from a base of of being a keyboardist or or a guitarist or you know or, you know coming from a chord-based instrument. 
Are you, when you're working on these songs in your head, are you thinking about all these different lines coming together? Or are you mostly working on the melody and then you hear the chords later? It depends on the piece, I think. Um, When I'm working with something like as complex as, say, like an orchestra, it's easy to get kind of bogged down in in individual parts. And so a lot of the times, like, it's kind of like that overall sound of, you know, what everything would, you know, come together as, if I'm thinking it more than just the melody. So like, just like a woodwind section doing something very specific. And that's pretty much just informed by having listened to orchestras and kind of knowing what, you know, a certain section can do or or a combination of instruments. Um, But for smaller things, for more, you know, melodic-based things, then yeah, it's usually just the melody that I kind of work on and maybe I'll kind of hear hints of what the chord structure could be, but that usually doesn't really factor into it until I'm actually sitting down and, and, and writing. Um, and then for anything that's more experimental or electronic, like that's that's a wholly different writing process for me, where it's a lot more of experimentation with the actual sounds and really just kind of hands-on tweaking that I can't really like sing to myself in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what do you think makes a good melody? Hmm. I think a good melody has a good structure to it. Um, it's not just a single idea, but rather has the potential. Uh, has it has p- the potential written into it? So, for example, like a melody that you can't really do anything with. It just kind of is so complex or so complete in its statement that you can't really work with it. I think it's it's good in in a certain case, but it makes it a, a weaker melody overall. So, like say something. Uh, a simpler melody that has a certain like pattern to it, you know, maybe you know it's following sort of that rule of three, where it's like you know da 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 da, you know, sort of kind of rep- you know rep- repetition and then kind of building on that. I think that really helps uh, establish a good melody and kind of creating that almost predictability, so that once it starts getting ver- you know variations made of it, you can follow that along and and sort of follow it where it's going. Hmm. That's a really interesting way to think about it. Yeah, just the idea of keeping, making a melody that's open-ended. Yeah, uh, and I think and that's kind of like almost a selfish answer because it's it's what makes a good melody for me as a composer. <laughs> yeah. For like, you know, someone listening to a melody, like the I think the first thing that would you would come to mind would be memorable, you know, catchy, kind of like that. It's got a hook to it. You know, that's that's kind of like the classic staples of of a good melody whereas i think a good melody from a composition standpoint has that flexibility built into it so you can do more things with it and to you know especially if you're working on a project that has like it's a melody for this entire race of people that then needs to have all of these other pieces of music that the melody becomes a motif and then it becomes you know something that's brought into other things and is recognizable like it really kind of needs to have that flexibility built into it yeah it's kind of making me think about, like, the start to a story. Yeah. Um, and I know you're an author, too, so... Yeah. I'm kind of wondering, like, what... Do you think you're writing and that side carries into the 
composing side? I think it kind of, it all informs uh, each other. Um, there is, there's definitely a lot of things that I've done in writing that kind of at least uh, conceptually came from music. So like, you know, I mean, so well, I mean, I started writing poetry and I, I have long since dropped that, but you know, there's obviously a lot of, you know, sort of marriage between <laughs> songwriting and poetry uh, there, the rhythm and this cadence of things. But with writing prose, um, I think a lot of what I've kind of just said about melody kind of applies as well, where if you have a memorable repeated phrase in you know, a piece of prose, then that also kind of becomes a part of your writing and becomes sort of a motif that is, is used throughout, you know, whatever that, that prose is. Um, if you can structure a story, if you can structure a sentence, if you can structure a melody, like they all kind of inform each other and in how to how how something works well psychologically for someone when they're reading it or listening to it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any advice for composers on structuring their pieces? Oh goodness. Um, yeah. Like. There's a lot of very basic structures, you know, that we kind of all learn. Uh, there's, you know, the ABA, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, <laughs> chorus, chorus, yeah. chorus, fade out. Um, <laughs> uh, there's that. Um, and those are all like really strong foundations, you know, in terms of writing, you know, a good piece of music. And, and there's certainly like books written about formulas and and sort of the pop uh way of of writing um and i think those are all you know valid and they're all good starting points um but i think for music a lot of it really has to do you know if you're talking about structure a lot of it to do with the medium that it's being played back in um if it's for say a movie or, or or tv show or something obviously the structure is kind of built into it so it it follows the the flow that the the director and and you know cinematographer are putting together with that but for just a, a standalone piece of music like a lot of that really gets informed by knowing where uh or figuring out where a melody's going or where a thematic idea is going and when it's outstayed, it's welcome. And when it's kind of ready to move on, and some some t- I, I found myself guilty of this a lot of times writing writing pieces where I get so caught up with this idea of theme and variation, where it's like, oh, you know, you've, you've got to have like, okay, here's here's the, the you know the first statement of this theme, and then we got to do something interesting with it, and then another interesting thing with it, and kind of keep on going with all of these things until you're just like, oh, you just get sick of it, and sometimes you have like way too much in there, um, and so paring back, you know, knowing when to call it quits on something (laughs) yeah yeah but then also knowing like what are the interesting things that i can do with this um and so not just keeping it the same throughout the whole piece like having that variation having that excitement in there and i think that's where a lot of structures lend their their benefits is if you have if you know that you're going to have a bridge at some point you know that you're going to have to do something interesting that's different and so like that kind of that informs that okay 
you know, this is this is where the, inter- the the sort of the weird quirky bit comes in. And if you kind of like take that and you figure out, okay, this is how it works outside of that structure, then you can kind of put together your own forms without necessarily following a very specific one, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like le- and, uh, learning the rules before you break them. That's that's what yeah. I always learned in college. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And I, I feel like in video game composing, you probably get a lot of chances to experiment with like theme and variations. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially if you're writing like an entire game soundtrack um, by yourself, you know, you really kind of have to figure that out and know from the outset, maybe not from the outset, but at least know <laughs> before you're committed to, to all of the music that you're writing, like how many times is it going to be used? Like, uh, not necessarily in just, you know, what you're writing for the music, but in the game itself. Like, how many times is this piece of music going to come up? And that's that's always been something that's... And will that's, it annoy people if they yeah, hear it too much? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, um, or, or how many times is the music changing during a particular, you know, sequence of events? Because um, I, I had uh, a game that I was working on, uh, Dead State, where there's kind of two major components to it. There's dialogue sections where you've got a lot of characters, you know, interacting and kind of managing things. And then you're out in the field, you know, scavenging for supplies while, you know, there's zombies about, and, you know, you know what happens with that. Um, And so earlier on in, in writing the soundtrack, I'd written basically the conversation piece. So here's, here's the music for when you're in a conversation and then I'd written like a whole bunch of field music and combat music and all of this stuff. And when I actually sat down and played like an alpha version of the game, it was very striking to me that uh, I had written so much music for about 50% of the game. And the other 50% of the game had one piece of music for the most part that was playing. Oh. And so that kind of, you know, came down to me, you know, sitting down with you know, the other uh, folks involved and being like, okay, I need to write a lot more music for these conversations because <laughs> there's a lot of talking. <laughs> yeah. And that wasn't one of the things that was kind of brought up in the initial like scoping process of, you know, talking out like what are all the, the pieces of music going to be? And so like, you know, obviously as a composer, we have the unique uh, perspective of knowing all of these things going into a project. And so, you know, just talking about it with someone, you don't really know exactly how everything's going to be used and and maybe you know piece of music you write is not actually going to be used for what you wrote it for in the first you know for the first place um because that's also something that's happened uh, oh. <laughs> uh many many times um but is it painful for you to uh, it depends <laughs> it depends on on what it's used for <laughs> if i wrote a piece of music that was for like a love scene and it's used for like you know brutal murder like maybe i'd feel a. Uh, <laughs> pretty bad about that but uh, (laughs) but uh yeah no like uh the the more as a composer you can sit down and actually play through and help in the implementation of what the music is accompanying like that's that's such an important thing like i was i was reading an interview actually with austin wintry uh you know the composer for journey and banner saga and just recently uh assassin's creed syndicate and he's an amazing composer, not just because he writes amazing music, 
but because he gets incredibly hands-on with the games that he works on, and he gets development builds, and he gets constant updates for them while they're in progress, and he will implement his music or get them implemented and play through over and over again and make sure that all the music just perfectly fits that experience. And and if it doesn't, then he rewrites it and, and does more. Like he that and that's that's kind of the, the dedication that he brings to it. And we can't afford that all the time on every project. But I think that's a really cool lesson to learn on just sort of that being involved with the development process and, and really caring about how the music is implemented, not necessarily just about how it's written. Yeah. Have you experimented at all with like like I know in Journey? Yeah. Austin had many layers that could be used mm-hmm. and mixed together and that kind of thing. Yeah. Do you have you experimented with that in games? Yeah, absolutely. Um I just kind of did actually with uh Heart of Thorns. Um got to get involved uh, with a really exciting sort of development in the the music technology uh for the game where I mean and it's, it's kind of old hat for a lot of games but like, you know, <laughs> MMOs kind of kind of need to keep on upping their their audio game and uh and so we finally got some tools that some some single player games have had for a while. And so uh we got sort of the the ability to do like clip-based uh uh dynamic music and so uh for cool. specifically it was built for the combat system so you could have like the intensity layers of the combat go up and down uh dynamically based on what the the game was interpreting from the the combat that you were in. And that's used a lot, like all over the place, uh, in in a lot of single player games. Not not as much with uh, with MMOs, um, but we weren't able to to implement that for the like actual combat system. But I wrote a piece of music, or rather, kind of like a suite of music for the final story boss uh, for the expansion. That is one of the most complicated pieces I've ever written <laughs> uh, because it just because of all of the the multiple layers involved. And it's not to the extent that Journey does it where there's like, you know, sort of instrument layers that can kind of crossfade in and out. Uh, Nier was another game that did that really well, uh, mo- mostly with its sort of dynamic mixing. But with this uh, final boss theme, it, it kind of got bookended by dynamic pieces. And then in the middle, it was kind of a through composed, you know, traditional loop with a alternate B section that it could crossfade into and then back again. Um, but then for the first parts, it was a series of like eight bar phrases that kind of progressed through a number of them and randomized through them. And then as the fights progressed, uh, it would you know, tell the system, okay, time time to up and up notch, and so it went to the next layer and and up and then back down again, and sort of kept on keeping everything like uh, in in meter and just you know really adapted to the situation. It was something we'd not done in the game before, but because I was implementing all of the music and the gameplay and everything for that part of the game, it was fun to just kind of get into that system and really play with it and see see how cool we can make it. combat music kind of a lot like 
uh, when I wrote music for dance, actually. <laughs> um, oh. When I was at Cornish, uh, we had a dance department that was right of, uh, was the Cornish is the college that I went to. Uh, we had the dance department right above us um, in the building. And so I actually did a lot of collaborations with dancers. And so there's, there's you know, a certain movement that you really kind of tap into when you're writing for dance that kind of inspired a lot of how I approach combat music. And so I, you know, like one of the things that I was, I was telling my co-composer on Guild Wars um, is like, you know, something that kind of struck me was like, you know, good combat music is also good dance music. And that could, that could apply to modern dance. It could apply to, you know, house, whatever. Like if it's kind of danceable, like that's a really cool combat piece. And so hmm. I, I work with a lot of like, you know, polyrhythms and uh, changing or not changing meters so much. I've, I've not done that as much, but that would be fun. <laughs> but uh, just doing a lot of uh, just fun rhythmic things and building up a really good groove. And I think it's really that rhythm that really gets you into it and keeps you kind of engaged in combat. And melodic elements can kind of come and go, but it's really like it's all about the rhythm for, for combat. Are you a drummer? Uh, I, no. I kind of, right. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I, I don't like, I don't play kit, but I've got a uh, conga drum. Uh, I've studied, uh, both that and like djembe drumming. So I kind of have a, a, a bit of a background in that kind of, uh, of drumming. Cool. And I'll, I'll, I'll definitely, uh, I've got, you know, little like, you know, rhythm pad thing. So I'll tap in, tap in rhythms and play around with that. And no, I have a lot of fun with, with, uh, writing percussion. Yeah. Yeah, I can tell that from listening to your music, too. Like in uh, Reticent Mound, I was trying to figure out what the time signature was, but there were, like, sounded like multiple time signatures kind of going. something that i just uh, actually dredged up from from a while ago that was written like 2006 or 7 i think oh okay. um yeah because I, I wrote that actually for like demo material um and it was a, an homage to uh silent hill uh, because of all the wordplay oh, there. <laughs> <laughs> oh get, I was, get yeah. it ah. <laughs> yeah but uh yeah that was that was a fun one to write uh I, I'm, I'm assuming you're talking about like the, the end part where it just gets really rhythmic and it's just kind of uh, yeah creepy or, yeah <laughs> and that was that was a fun one because um <laughs> I could because I wrote it for demo material I actually took it to uh, GDC uh, game developers conference and uh, every year uh, they have this uh, thing that they do that's like a demo derby so every you know sort of these all these aspiring composers get up and you know before a panel of industry professionals uh, play their demo reel and get you know sort of pro advice and it's it's kind of funny because it, it really felt like one of those like reality tv like uh the oh. voice or american idol or something it's like oh tell me you know tell me what you think of my music oh wow <laughs> sort of things and so like i had mixed it on my headphones uh because i was not super great at mixing back then and so it was incredibly bassy I was not prepared for the degree of bass that would be in that room. And so it was this conference room filled with all these audio professionals. And it's just boom, just like thunder. 
So um, I, I'm kind of curious uh, about your perspective as a trans woman in yeah. the game industry. Um, and like, yeah, I'm curious uh, what the that was like coming out. Um, I mean, yeah, like any sort of coming out, it's, it's incredibly scary and <laughs> really uh, just took a whole lot of just working up the, I don't know, I don't want to say working up the courage, that sounds so silly, but just like, um, it's it's a difficult thing to, to talk about because it's such a, a personal personal yeah. thing, but for, for me, like, uh, coming out of the industry, it was something that was, I mean, it was necessary to make it a public thing because I had built up, you know, credits and, and all of these things uh, that I'd done in the industry beforehand. And I'd been on podcasts and uh, on live streams and all of these things. And to kind of like make a clean break from that would have been kind of impossible. So I really kind of had to to take a, a really close look at, at what all would be involved in that. And, it, you know, for me, it was terrifying, but just decided to, to just do it. And the amount of support that I've gotten has, has been really tremendous, um, primarily, you know, from, you know, within the industry and uh, fans also, like, you know, most of my Twitter followers come from uh, fans of Guild Wars. Everyone on there has just been so, like, you know, amazingly sweet about oh, that and uh, yeah and and so like a lot of the the initial hand wringing was just sort of mostly you know in my head stuff but uh, it's interesting because like uh, ArenaNet is a very unique company I think there's a number of of transgender employees there and it made it a slightly more welcoming place for me to feel okay doing that because I knew that there was already a community of folks. Um, there was, you know, already that acceptance, already that built-in support system, I think, at the at the company for me to actually do that. You know, and if, if that hadn't been the case, then who knows what I would have done. But, uh, hmm. yeah, that's uh, at least some, some thoughts on that. <laughs> sure, yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear that's been positive for you. Yeah. 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 I'm also kind of curious because, like, it it seems like, in general, like, men are more pushed towards composing as a as a field. Sure. Um, and I, yeah, I'm kind of curious. Like, growing up as Leaf, do you think it would have been a different experience for you as Lena growing up? I guess. If that makes sense. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I think in my experience, like when I was at Cornish, uh, you know, studying music, there were so many women composers there. You know, I, I, I didn't really get that major gender split. Maybe it's just because it was Seattle. But sure. uh, there, I mean, th sure, there, there's a lot of uh, women composers that were in there, you know, primarily for, uh, for you know, songwriting and, and kind of, you know, what what you would you know more typically associate with uh you know sort of i don't know it feels terrible to say but like um there's kind of like that 
inbuilt uh, stigma of like, okay, well, you know, here's here's the men over here, like, you know, writing the symphonies, and hmm. and then here's the women, you know, being singer songwriters, um, <laughs> and that's hmm. something that I definitely noticed, like, while I was there. So there's there's kind of that uh, inbuilt, already, you know, still, but at the same time, like, for me personally, I don't think it would have impacted. Um, much. I mean, I, I obviously am the same person uh, that I've yeah. always been. So, like, uh, I, I, I would have gone into the same field regardless. Um, I would have uh, perhaps, you know, I, I would definitely have had a completely different experience um, in college just, you know, because of the, the gender biases that there are uh, in society. But I don't think that would have swayed me from it. But, I mean, definitely, like, in the industry, there's... Uh, game industry specifically, like there's, there's far more male composers there uh, than there are women composers, but there's also some very strong, prominent figures uh, in composition that I think a lot of people look up to. And I'm, I'm hoping that that becomes, you know, more and more the case as, as time goes on, like, you know, composers like Winifred Phillips, uh, who has an amazing book out just to give a plug, um, but she's, she's been doing some really cool stuff. um, And, uh, I mean, on, on the Japanese side, like you've got so many amazing uh, Japanese women, Yoko Kano, Yoko Shimomura, uh, Miami Matsumae, I think. Um, she was one of the original Mega Man composers. Um, oh, and, cool. and like the, the Castlevania composer, uh, you know, was, you know, is, is, you know, is still a woman. <laughs> she, she is a woman. Uh, and, you know, so there's there's a lot of amazing women composers in sort of the the history of the industry, and so, but I don't think a lot of people know that, and I don't think they're yeah. sort of out there um, as as prominently as some of of the male composers are. Um, yeah. And you know, per- perhaps for that uh, that reason of of just it's it's more difficult for for women to to be very visible and very vocal in in the industry, um, and that's you know a side effect that, that everyone's dealing with right now. But uh, I think yeah. there's a lot more awareness and a lot more sort of building up towards uh, a better representation in the future. And I'm, I'm hoping to kind of be a part of that. Yeah. It would be cool to be able to interview some of the Japanese women composers. Yeah, um, I get the but... perspective on it. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not sure if... It seems like a lot of Japanese composers in general are kind of impossible to track down. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be surprised. There's, there's, uh, you know, I know some folks that could potentially get in touch with them. So, <laughs> Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll ask you a question that I ask a lot of video game composers. Sure. Um, if you were forced to listen to one of your tracks on loop forever, Oh no. Uh, what would it be? Um, are you going to end the podcast with playing forever? Because <laughs> that might affect if what I, can, I say. <laughs> if I can figure out how to do that in uh, Embed MP3 the infinite file. loop, yeah. Um, oh, gosh, let's see. That's a really tricky one. Because I'm tempted to say, like, one of the longer ones, just so that it's, like, more music to loop forever. <laughs> but maybe yeah. just one of the more catchy ones that could just get stuck in my head forever. I don't know. Um, I tend to get obsessed sometimes when I, when I finish a piece of music, like I, because I, I need to kind of like keep hearing it over and over again to really kind of 
have a, a, a finality to it once I finish the piece. And so I just kind of, I obsess over and I listen to it over and over just to make sure just, you know, one more time, just to make sure that, <laughs> uh, that everything is, you know, it's sounding exactly how it should be. And it's, it's a, it's a bad trap to fall into sometimes because you're just <laughs> like, oh gosh, no more. I think yeah, the, it's probably good like yeah. <laughs> three versions ago, but <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I think there's, uh, one of the pieces that I, I wrote for, for Heart of Thorns, um, the actual name for it is Attack on Tarir. It's a, a battle piece uh, that I wrote um, specifically for this event in the open world, uh, you know, in, in the game where you're just like sort of map-wide, everyone's coming together and defending the city. And it's got some really cool rhythmic string lines in it that I could just, you know, I could listen to those forever. Like the player, the the orchestra did such an amazing job with them that it's such a, I just, I love rhythmic strings, like just get a violin or cello, like playing some really intricate stuff together. And like, that's, I could listen to that forever. a tradition on the podcast of uh having a question chain going from each guest to the next okay so the last person i interviewed was syriac harris okay Uh, he does youtube videos like really weird animations and the music for them oh fun and he is wondering do you find yourself throwing ideas away if they're not working or do you keep hammering at them until they're in the right shape? Uh, for me, I I don't think I've ever complete. Well, I've there, it's very rare that I've completely thrown out an idea, uh, especially if it's enough to kind of get stuck in my head. So a lot of ideas that I do end up throwing away, I'll kind of keep. Uh, it's a little fragmented file, you know, something, something that I can open up later when I'm feeling particularly uninspired and come, come back to and maybe turn that into something interesting and maybe it's still trash, but I, I'm, I'm a firm believer in recycling. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Well, do you have a question for my next guest? Oh, let's see. Uh... If you were going to write a piece of music for your breakfast this morning, what instrumentation would it be? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> what did you have for breakfast? Oh, I made a sunny side up eggs <laughs> on toast. <laughs> nice. All right. What what would the instrumentation for that be? Mm, I'd go for like super poppy synths. just like classic like anime trash like feel good music yeah that'd be good nice (laughs) let's see i had cinnamon raisin bagel okay um so i don't know what that would be (laughs) woodwind maybe or (laughs) i think something something lower like a bassoon maybe be a good uh cinnamon Mm -hmm. cinnamon raisin yeah. <laughs> well, that actually brings me to the the other tradition on the show. Um, Bre- breakfast? Which, which is breakfast. <laughs> no. Uh, I challenge composers who come on to uh, try and make a short intro theme 
oh. for their episode. Oh, fun. If they, ha- if they have time. Yeah. So maybe your, your challenge could be to make a theme based on your sunny side up <laughs> breakfast. All right. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll hop right to that. <laughs> cool. Well, Lena, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, likewise. Yeah. And um, for people who want to check out your music, where should they go? Uh, they should go to uh, either Lena Chappelle, um, and I guess you can, can you spell that somewhere? Cause, uh, yeah, I will. It's a French last yeah. name, so it's kind of, uh, it's got lots of vowels and consonants, and it's, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, maybe I shouldn't have picked that as my website address, but oh well, <laughs> too late now. Um, yeah. Or you can go to, uh, oh gosh, what is my SoundCloud I'm on SoundCloud. Um, uh, I think it's just Lena Chappelle. Yeah. On SoundCloud. Lena-Chappelle, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm probably one of the the only Lenas on there, so... Yeah. <laughs> if you do Lena, <laughs> Lena C, I'm sure I'll, I'll come up somewhere. Um, cool. But, uh, yeah, I'm on there, and I've got lots of music. Uh, I keep on posting new stuff, so check it out. Yeah. And here I've been calling you Lena. Oh. Sorry about that. Oh. <laughs> Lena. Honestly, anything goes, really. It's Lena, Lena, <laughs> Lena. Yeah. Well, thanks again for coming on. Yeah. And take care. Yeah, you as well. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Composer Quest with Lena Chappelle. Make sure to visit her website by spelling her name correctly. L-E-N-A-C-H-A-P-P-E-L-L-E dot com. Feel free to get in touch with me by emailing me, charlie at composerquest.com or find Composer Quest on Facebook or Twitter. Now it's time for another... This past weekend, I participated in the 24-hour Midwest Game Jam here in the Twin Cities. Once we got past the awkward hurdle of group brainstorming and picking teams, it was a blast. My team decided to make a pirate ship racing game which was tentatively titled Super Boat Party 64. I had a super specific sound in mind for my music, the Koopa Troopa Beach theme from Mario Kart 64. To me, that's the pinnacle of islandy video game music. I recommend taking a listen if you haven't heard it. I made the mistake of listening to it and feeling immediately overwhelmed by how good this composition is. But I took a step back and decided I would instead just try to emulate the sounds from this Mario Kart track. Then after playing around with some of the sounds, I was hoping my composer instincts would lead me to making a tropical melody that would fit the game. Some of the instruments in Koopa Troopa Beach are obvious island sounds, like steel drums and bongos. For the steel drums, I found a great lo-fi sample for free. If you just Google Roland Steel Drums, it should be first on the list. Once I had it set up as a sample on my MIDI keyboard, it instantly inspired me to do a melody that started with a big glissando, even though a glissando on a real steel drum is probably impossible. Once I had the steel drum part down, I wanted to add a bongo part. I wasn't planning for the bongos to become melodic, 
but I naturally turned them into a melody since their tone was so strong. Again, not something that happens with the real instrument, but who cares? It's an island song. Rarely do I actually move my body around when I'm making computer music, but since I happened to be standing while I was making this music, I found myself dancing a little bit as I was recording the parts. I highly recommend trying it out if you're feeling ungroovy. Next, I wanted to add some more percussion, so I went back to the Koopa Troopa Beach sound palette. I was kind of surprised to notice there was no standard drum beat, no snare, no kick. The most prominent percussion sound was actually a triangle. So for my track, I added a bunch of high, tinkly percussion sounds, including triangle, claves, tambourine, a go-go, and to finish it off, the vibra-slap, everyone's favorite silly percussion instrument. Here's what the track sounded like together. I played the track for my composer counterpart on our Game Jam team, Rob Stenzinger. Rob suggested I try adding a boom percussion sound. There's really no other way to describe that kind of drum other than boom. I used the same bongo instrument, but much lower in pitch, and I tweaked the speak parameter in Ableton, which gave it even more of a scoop sound. I felt like I still had to add an acoustic bass part, but anything I tried recording just seemed to conflict with this low bongo sound. So I decided to stick with just the bongo as the bass part. For the B section of the song, I wanted to introduce a new instrument, and cheesy synth trumpet seemed like it might work. The trumpet punched out a little bit more than I wanted, and it felt slightly out of place. I decided to double it with a mellower sound, and I gave that mellow sound a pitch scoop at the beginning. I realized I had stumbled upon something that sounded exactly like the underwater sound effects in Super Mario 64. This watery synth sounded perfect combined with the trumpet. One last finishing touch that seems to be in all tropical video game music a tremolo steel drum or marimba sound. I didn't want it to be obviously on the beat, so I was okay with my sloppy recording of the steel drum. So far I was pretty happy with my loop, and it was 4am at that point, so I called it quits. I had wanted to keep this track pretty simple, but it still probably took 2 hours for this 20 seconds. This track ended up being used for the title screen since it was more lighthearted and relaxed, and we left the intense boat racing music up to my counterpart Rob. I hope this production lesson helps you, 
just in case you find yourself in the position of scoring a retro pirate ship racing game. Before I play my final mix, I want to remind you that you can find all these music production lessons as their own podcast on iTunes. Just search for Charlie's Music Production Lessons. You can also find them at composerquest.com cmpl. And if you want to try downloading the game we finished, search for Pirate64, all one word, on gamejolt.com. Unfortunately, you need to have four controllers to play, so I haven't even tried it yet. Hopefully it's fun, though. Thanks for listening, and here's my full track, which I'm calling Superboat Party 64. <laughs>